the message is entitled Awakened to Accountability. And I would like to begin with saying a few thoughts about, about God and how he works. Something I'm becoming ever increasingly convinced of is that God is God and we are not. Hey, shocker, right? God is the creator. We are the created. And being the creator should have some perks to it. There should be some some benefits to shaping something from nothing. If indeed God has built our reality from a thought in his mind, if indeed he has shaped human beings from dust and bone, he should be able to direct our lives. Yeah? I mean, God should have the perk of us saying, yes, sir, as opposed to arguing with him or saying, you know what, Lord, I have considered your opinion, but I actually have some other ideas that I would like you. I'm just, it's a give and take, Lord. I'd like to slide my ideas right back to you. Now that that's garbage. If God is God and we are not, why do we keep acting as if we are? Why are we still dictating our day based on our priorities and our agenda? Where does God get to be God and be the sovereign ruler of our lives and make the decisions? Why are we still considering God's word as a suggestion and not an absolute? The fill in the blank before you is this. God calls the shots. God calls the shots. Whether you like it or not, he's going to bring about his will here on earth. You can be a part of that or you cannot be a part of that. I would suggest that even if you don't think you're a part of that, you're a part of that. So God calls the shots. Let's dive into the passage that we have that is so rich for today. And that is in Jude verse 3. Uh, if it is one of the Bibles here, it is on page 1027. It's just before the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible or last book in the New Testament. But I just want to read a, a portion. We're going to be going from verse 3 through verse 7. And just so we can get kind of in our minds what Jude is talking about. Let's Let's kind of read through that together. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Well, that was a cute devotional. I would hope that everyone noticed there was warnings on this message. Did y'all see those? Okay, that, those warnings are legit because the Bible is not safe for the whole family. The Bible is actually pretty brutal and what we're about to walk into is pretty intense stuff. 
Uh, Jude is not the only one that talked about this. Would you turn to the left in your Bibles and go with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It's another one of those small books towards the end there. Uh, 2 Peter always follows what? 1 Peter, shocker. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false, false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot... Greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Clearly, these two guys are talking about the same stuff. Jude had one intent in mind. He would love to talk to him about a bunch of light, frilly, exciting, man, aren't we, isn't everything awesome, isn't God good? He wanted to write some good pastor stuff. But because of the danger that was in their midst, he had to write something that he didn't want to write. And that was a blast against those who arrogantly thought they were God and acted as if they were God. There's a a big warning that's going through this whole message. And and unfortunately, because we don't tend to look into the background, we avoid the book of Jude going, man, that's just a creepy little book. Nobody wants to get around it. Well, today we're going to break that out as rapidly as we can. So let's start with verse three and let me start breaking it apart for you. It begins with the word beloved. This is a pastoral heart writing this. This is a pastor that says, listen, I'm about to get in your face. I'm about to correct people in your midst. As a matter of fact, I'm going to drop a whole heap of condemnation on people, but I need you to know that I'm interested in weeding out the wolves and protecting the sheep. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it, found it necessary That means I had to stop what I was doing, grab that pen, and I was forced to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith. The word contend, every commentary mentions, that is the Greek word where we get the term agony from. It's going to cost you. It's going to be extreme. It's an athletic term that says you strain all the way to the end with everything you have that you might win. Why do we need to contend for the faith so severely? Because it's under attack. That's why. Do you understand that we have every possibility of being a generation that does not accurately pass on the gospel of Jesus Christ to the next? 
That's horrifying. Are we contending for the faith? Are we protecting the gospel or are we allowing it to be altered and it becomes a Jesus and sort of thing? We are contending for the faith that was once for all, meaning the gospel doesn't need to be added to. It was delivered to us, which is the word entrusted, and it was given to who? To the saints, that is us. For certain people, and remember the church isn't that big, so everyone knows who you're talking about. Yeah, I know that guy, he's in row seven. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. That is an intriguing phrase in Greek. It it refers always to evil, insidious evil, sneaking in evil, and it refers to someone that comes into the court system and through marvelous constructed arguments warps the minds of the judge and jury. So whoever these people are, they're coming in, they're brilliant in how they communicate, they know what at least they believe, they're convincing, they're confident, and they're leading people astray. They are warping everybody's minds. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. What does that mean? That's another weird phrase. That phrase means there are some people that hide their sin. That is in general what we are. How do I know that? Because I know you got a bunch of sin in your life, but I can't see it very well. That means y'all are hiding it. That means that if you got an anger problem, you're not coming into church screaming at people and smashing them over the head with a club. You are keeping it quiet where you'll destroy your kids, you'll destroy your spouse, you'll yell on the road, but you won't do it in church. So I know that whether it's, it's lust and all kinds of creepiness there, you're keeping that in your mind, you're keeping that under the dark, you're keeping that when you're alone, whatever it is, we are the people that hide our sin and there's something positive about that and something negative about that. But what he says is, then there's a whole nother quality of people that are so arrogant, they flaunt their sin and don't care who knows what it is because they think they're right. That's these people. They have come in and they're so cocky. They are so convinced that they can do whatever they want to do. They don't care who knows what kind of sin they're involved in. They just kind of display it publicly everywhere. That's not good. Not only that, but they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Master means king or sovereign. And Lord means authority. They deny that Jesus is all we need. Okay, so who are these people? We don't, we don't know. All the scholars are trying to figure it out. Most of them think that these folks are called pre-Gnostics. Now, that probably doesn't mean anything to you. It's not something that you're ever going to be quizzed on, so it's not a big deal. But really, the teaching comes from a Greek mindset that says this. Flesh is bad. All the only thing that matters is spirit. That's the eternal stuff. All this flesh stuff and what you do with your bodies doesn't matter. It's all going to burn anyway. So you can do anything you want and not be held accountable for what you do in your bodies. You add in Christianity to that. And now you have an explosive TNT. What you have is now they say, and if Jesus died for it all, I can do anything I want. If indeed God's grace, which glorifies him, covers over sin. Why shouldn't we just sin a whole bunch more so more grace can be piled on and God will get more glory? Y'all understand how twisted this is? 
In addition to that, they didn't believe that the almighty God could ever touch something broken and yucky like our skin or our bodies or this world. So God had to make a manifestation of himself and then make another one and then make another one so that eventually it became so polluted that only that God could touch this world. Well, that's a messed up concept. So what they're saying is Jesus is merely a long distance manifestation of God and he's not the one true Lord. All right. So all this is garbage. This is why Jude is so upset. Is he's going, no, all this is horrible. I don't want any of this in my church. Let me use a real quick analogy here, uh, an illustration. Are there still false teachers in the church today? Yeah, there's actually a lot of them. Um, we all tend to think we know who they are. I would be, I would, I think we probably don't, but let's just talk about the ones that we do know. There are false teachers out in Christianity, and I would suggest that there's really three major types of false teachers. I think the biggest group is the first group, and that is people that mean well, They have awesome hearts. They started with great motivations, but along the way, either they were taught wrong or they were led astray into bad theology, and now they're wrecking stuff. You understand what I'm talking about? That's actually the majority. We tend to get really upset and we call everyone the third group, when in fact, I think majority of them are the first group. Uh, The second group are ones that they really believe that they have a new revelation, They're so arrogant to think, no, 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 no. I I get all Christianity thinks this way. I'm actually more enlightened. I think this way and I'm bringing in a new concept and I think everyone needs to know my new way of thinking. They don't think they're doing anything wrong. They think they're bringing everybody to a new level. Well, that's garbage. The third group is the group we immediately go to in our minds and that's the crooks. That's people that flat out realize religious people are easier to dupe. And they can grab a lot of cash off us because they'll start flinging around God words and everybody wants to jump on board because they think that's a good idea. Now, because of our structure in this world, it's hard for crooks to get too high up because they tend to get shut down by other reasons. So usually they're like the cult leaders and the quiet ones and let's do a cable station over here and try to get money and let's try to do mail stuff, right? I mean, that's really the crooks that are out there. Could someone get high up? Sure they could, but it's more difficult. But understand, there are false teachers all over the place. That's why we need to know the word of God. So an alarm goes off. That's the point. Then it says in verse five, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, the Exodus, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now that's an Old Testament story. Do you know that story? It's talking about when the Hebrews were led out by God through the 10 plagues out in the Exodus through the parted Red Sea into the wilderness wanderings. The story that he's referring to actually happened soon thereafter. So let's say you have about 600,000 people and they go wander out of Egypt together and they go out into the desert. They're wandering around a little bit and God says, hey, real quick, before we get too deep into this, I want you to come see something. So he takes them to a place called Kadesh Barnea, right on the edge of the promised land. He said, all right, family, gather around, gather around real quick. 
We are going to go into the promised land. I want you to check it out. I want to make sure that we know what we're going to do because this is going to be difficult. Even though I will fight for you, I'm going to demand that you are all in. I'm going to demand that you do some work too. This is not just, I'm going to do everything for you. I will do the heavy lifting. I need you to walk with me in this and trust me in this. So they sent out 12 spies. Y'all know that story, right? If not, let me, let me bring you up to speed. They sent out 12 spies. They go into the land and they come back with a couple different reports. The first report is, man, that is beautiful land. We have been slaves in Egypt for a really long time. Then we had about a year and a half, maybe uh, shorter than that. We're out in the desert. There's nothing out here. We kind of hate being out here. I would love to go in there. The fruit is awesome. It's just a land flowing with milk and honey. We, this is a beautiful place. Second report. But there's no way in the world I'm going in there. Why? There's giants in there. I mean, we as Jews, we're not that big. But they're huge. They're like super tall, like crazy big type of people. And you know what? They're like the Nephilim of the past. They're like the giants in the land. I mean, one of the first places we checked out is a city called Jericho, right? And I mean, it's an impregnable city. You're never getting in there. I'm going to tell you right now, we have been slaves for 400 years. We don't know anything about warfare. This is never going to happen. That's what 10 spies said. But there was two other spies. Who were they? Joshua and Caleb. And they said, can we speak for a second? Yeah, sure, guys, what's up? Who cares who's against us? Who's for us? You guys, we didn't fight Egypt to get out. Y'all remember that? We didn't do anything. We weren't warriors then either. The point is not what are our resources? How good are we? The point is, is God working with us or not? Is God fighting for us or not? So I don't care how big the opposition is. I care how big my bodyguard is. And so I'm not worried about this at all. We have to go in. Did not God say he would go with us? Well, they got outvoted. And everyone said, well... Hey, I appreciate you being super Pollyanna and everything's going awesome, but we're not doing that. Because of that decision right there, God said, all of you that are responsible for this decision, and he held everyone over the age of 20 responsible for that decision. He said, you're going to walk around the desert until you all die because I'm not letting any of you in. That was 38 years of wandering in the desert because they did not believe God. Let me say something about the idea of belief. The Bible says a lot about belief. It says that by our belief, we will be saved or we will be condemned. A lot hangs on belief. The Bible says, if you believe and are baptized, you will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Why would God condemn someone for not believing something? What if you're scared? What if they didn't go into the land because they were just nervous and scared? Why is that not okay? Why is God condemning people for not believing information they don't think is going to happen? Because God said it. Let me explain something about faith. Faith is only operative... Faith only matters. Faith is only in play when God has revealed something. 
if you believe it, but God didn't say it, it's hope. But that's not faith. Faith is God said something and you will be held accountable for trusting what he said. If he didn't say anything, it's not faith. That's why we can be condemned because God does not hold you accountable for what you cannot know. God holds you accountable for what you do know and what you should know. So that does not let you off the hook where you go, well, I'm just religiously ignorant, ah, la, 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 and run around through your world. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. If you can know it, if it is presented in a way that you can get to it, you will be held accountable for it. Either you believe God at his word and trust him and act on it, that is faith, or you do not, and that is condemnation. It says, verse 6, this is where we shift into creepy land. And the angels, he's using three stories. The wanderings of the desert, the creepy angels, and Sodom and Gomorrah. Why those three? Because he's trying to use examples of judgment. Saying if our forefathers got shut down, if the angels got shut down. If whole cities got wiped out, I'm sorry, who are you again to think that you can do whatever you want with God and you're not going to be held accountable for it? This is a message on the fear of God being restored to our land. This is a message of letting us know that even though, even though he's our dad, he's massive and mighty and will hold us accountable for things. This is about changing our view of God. So he uses these three examples. Uh, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament are 400 years of silence. A lot of it was written during that time, but they were not included into the Bible. Those are called apocryphal books or extra biblical books. A whole bunch of them were written. Books like First Enoch, uh, The Assumption of Moses, The Testament of Naphtali, stuff like that. There's a bunch of books that were written in there. Six of them all use some version of these three stories. So it was a collection of stories that were used at that time. Jude is drawing from what everybody knows. He's drawing from their popular culture. And so he tells the second story here. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. That means they left their divine given role and place. Their princehood. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, their own home, their own place, these, he, God, has kept, still bound today, in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. You know what this is referring to? You only got two options. And I'm going to tell you, only one actually plays in this story. Here's your options. Is he referring to the fall of Satan where Lucifer tried to take the throne and there was a big civil war? Is that what he's referring to? Even though that's a good guess, that is not what he's referring to. How do we know that? Because he's quoting first Enoch. He's quoting an apocryphal book. Does that mean he agrees with everything in the book of first Enoch? No, he's quoting verbatim a line that Enoch uses over and over and over in that book. What he's saying is, hey, you guys, just like I would grab a popular song of today and go, you know how that one song says, it's not saying all of it is accurate. It's saying, I want to draw out a point from this popular literature that you all know. 
but he's quoting first Enoch and first Enoch and many of the books. As a matter of fact, I counted five of the other books all tell this story from the same angle. Here's what they say. There was a time before the flood where angels, fallen angels who were already pretty much in trouble, right? Because of the big civil war. They were already going to be condemned somewhere, but we know that Satan and his angels are not in hell. They're actually all over the earth causing havoc. How do we know that? Because Jesus kept interacting with them, right? So we know that they're here and it says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. It says that he's roaming around seeking who he may devour. There is no thing about that Satan and his team is all in hell. That's like their headquarters. That's, that's not true. Hell is a prison. People don't just get out of hell. Hell is a dungeon. It's a place of torment. Well, those fallen angels, some of them, the story says, looked down and saw that the women of earth were hot. Left their position of authority, took on bodies, had sex with them, and had kids. You're like, wait, what? I know. (laughs) Totally weird. Those kids that messed up the gene pool. And then you had the Nephilim, which are the giants of renown. That lineage traced through the flood. You go, well, how did it get through the ark? Well, you got to remember, Noah had three sons who had three wives. What were their family lines? We have no idea. It got through the ark, transcended down through Anak, where you get the Anakites. And eventually we see it show up in a guy by the name of Goliath. Do you remember? Goliath is not normal. Okay? Big, huge dude. Gene pool, weird. There was a bunch of big people at that time. The Bible talks about people that had multiple digits, extra digits on their hands and feet, and they were massive. This is what we're talking about. Really weird stuff. Now you're going to go, I don't know if I believe that's true. It doesn't matter. What I'm telling you is that's what Jude said. It doesn't matter. He's using that analogy. And he said, when those angels became fallen angels, when those fallen angels did this act, God shut them down, grabbed those specifically, bound them, threw them into torment, hell, and is keeping them there for when he's going to throw it into the lake of fire. Do you remember when Jesus went head to head with some demons and they would cry out, don't send us to the abyss? Do you remember that? they know what happens when they screw up again. (laughs) You see what I mean? They know you don't do that. Do not mess with Jesus because he's letting you off for a little while and he's gonna shut you down. Well, those guys were already thrown into the pit. They're already thrown into judgment. So what is the point of mentioning these stories? Well, right off the bat, we have a pride issue and a lust issue. That's what he's trying to get to. Let's read the third story. Verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise, meaning in the same way as the last story, indulged in sexual immorality, that's heterosexual sin, and pursued unnatural desire, quote, went after other flesh, that's homosexual sin, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Y'all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? All right, you might want to be able to share this as a nighttime story. (laughs) 
Sodom and Gomorrah has been used over 20 times in the Bible to talk about the issue of judgment. Let me tell you the story. Jesus and two angels are on a walk one day and they go by Abraham's house. As they go walking by, Abraham, the desert prince, who's very wealthy at this time, looks out and sees travelers coming by. He is somehow attracted to them, whether the idea that they looked like they were regal or royal or handsome or whatever it is. He knew they were different. He says, you guys got to come in and stay with me. Let me make you a meal. And they said, no, 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 we're on our way somewhere. He's like, no, 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 you have to stay with me. That's kind of a hospitality thing. Let me make you a meal. Well, they engaged with a couple different things and talked to him and Sarah. And then the next morning they said, we're going to go down and we're going to see if the cry against Sodom and Gomorrah is as bad as we think it is. If it is, we're blowing it up. Abraham said that what you're, my nephew lives there. You can't just blow it up. Lot lives there. Well, you, you're going to blow up what all these righteous people? What do you mean, Abraham, by all these righteous people? If it's all these righteous people, no, of course we wouldn't blow it up. What if there's like 50 of them? If there's 50 of them, we're not going to blow it up. What, like 45? Really? Okay, no, we're not going to blow it up if there's 45. 40? No, we will not blow it up if there's 40. How about 30? Okay, how long are we going to play this game, Abraham? 20? Okay, if there's 20 people, we're not going to blow it up. 10. All right, I'm done with this. Are you, are you done? Are you happy? 10 people. Is that your final answer? Because we're not playing this game anymore. Yeah, if, the, if there's 10 righteous people, you're not blowing it up, right? Okay, if there's 10 righteous people, I'm not blowing it up. Now leave me alone. All right, that's good, that's good. Well, then it says two angels go down into Sodom. Apparently Jesus went to Starbucks and they went down... <laughs> They walk into town. Now, when we're talking about angelic beings, listen, if you are an angel and you're going to put on a body, man, you're going to put on a ripped body. You're going to be like, I am handsome. Watch this. You know, you know, and all, you know, the big old things. Anyway, it's not important. <laughs> so they come walking in and they're just like, what's up, right? You know, they're walking. They come into the town. They pass by Lot. And Lot's like, oh, dear, this isn't going to go well. Hey, guys, real quick, my name's Lot. Nice to have you. Welcome to Sodom, beautiful place. I would like you guys to stay with me. No, 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 that's good. We're going to sleep out in the middle of the town square tonight. Ooh, bad idea. Okay, <laughs> my neighbor's totally creepy. You don't, you don't want to do that. So you need to come to my house. I'll give you a feast. It'll be awesome. Don't worry about it. Hospitality thing, right? Apparently that's the family thing. So they bring him into the house. It says, and as night descended on, all the men of the town, both young and old, gathered and surrounded the house. They slammed on the door and said, bring out the attractive men you have in your house so we can gang rape them in a homosexual fashion. All of them. What? What in the world is going on in this city? You can't get anybody to agree on anything. Now they're all gathering around and smashing on the door. Lot slips out and says this. This is the righteous guy that Peter just referred to, which I think he doesn't win father of the year. He says, he slips out and goes, I have two virgin daughters. You guys can have them all night long, but don't mess with the angels. Thanks, dad. That was awesome. 
At this point, they said, no, we want the guys, and they began to break the door down. The angels open up the door, grab him by the neck, pull him back in, slam the door, and strike everyone with blindness. Said, Lot, I'm telling you right now, we're blowing this place up. Get out. I want you to grab your family, your wife, your daughters, and their fiancés. So he has time to run into town and tell the girl's fiancés, we got to get out of town. They're going to blow it up. Well, they think he's joking around. They don't show up bad choice. He, they, they, he comes back in and the angel said, time, dude, we're gone. Get everybody. I will grab you by the hand. We're blowing up all the cities around, all five cities. He said, but I'm an old man. I can't run that fast. And you know what? That one city, it's really cute. It's really nice. I really would not like to blow it up. They said, fine, we'll let you go there. We're blowing up everything else, but we go now. They grabbed their hand. They said, do not look back. Mom, look back and salt lick. Don't worry, girls. Don't look. Mommy's just looking a little longer. Come on. You just keep running and you go up and they ended up into the mountains for creepy story number two. Anyway, bam, fire comes down and they're all destroyed. What's intriguing about the connection that Jude uses is that he said in a similar way, isn't it fascinating that he used a story where the angels lusted after men, women, and that men lusted after angels. His point is, in these stories, lust and pride have taken down the best. So who do you think you are that it's not going to affect you? Listen. These leaders had a very improper view of what they could and could not do, and they thought they were in charge. I would suggest to you that there's a little bit of them in us because we're still treating God as a suggestion. Who do you think you are? The angels who behold God in his glory. The angels who have stood before the throne of glory. The angels who are made stronger, faster, better, more intelligent. If they fell for the garbage of Satan and became arrogant enough to challenge God and do their own thing and play like they were autonomous and in charge, if they fell, who do you think you are? There needs to be a lot more fear of God in this place. How do I know that? Because I, a pastor that has every benefit in the world, still plays this game. I don't know how you do it. We still look at everyone else's sin as heinous and we have reasons for our own. We still think about how everyone needs to change, but we need a little bit more time. Something's wrong here. And the arrogance of our lives to continue doing what we want and saying that God's word is not a big deal must stop. Because if God didn't bring down judgment on the best, who do we think we are? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a, a wild ride, Lord, through 
scariness. Lord, you are a good God, but you are righteous and just and holy and pure, and you will not tolerate rebellion. Lord, we have a wrong view of grace, it seems. I know I do. Where, Lord, I continue to try to justify my sin. I still can try to tell you why it's not a big deal, as opposed to saying, yes, Lord, forgive me. Forgive all of us here, Lord, that are in that same boat. Allow us to see you as loving, but good. As kind, but strong. That we are not afraid of you in the wrong ways, but we're afraid of you in all the right ways. That, Lord, that you would keep us on the right path. So now today, while we have our minds about us, We dedicate to you that we are going to try to say yes, Lord, more often.